The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there is a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow if you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. And our first segment is sponsored by the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at WholeNewEngineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And today we'd like to re-welcome a, uh, uh, a friend of the show and a, and a previous guest of the show, uh, Carrie Hannon, New York Times columnist, dog lover, horse lover, and general bon vivant. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Terrific to be back. I appreciate it, Dave. Well, it's great to, great to have you back on the show. And, you know, last time, um, and it, it seems hard. I went back and looked. We, last time we talked was November 2nd, so almost just a little over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And the last time you were on the show, we had a um, great conversation about your career and, and your, some of your books. Uh, you've had a fascinating career. You've been a correspondent and columnist for household names like Business Week, Forbes, U.S. News and World Reports. You run your own business media business now, or you're a columnist for New York Times, Forbes, I think Money Magazine. I, it's, if I read all your credentials, we won't have time for the show. <laughs> um, and, but, and, and last time we spoke extensively about some of your career um, unexpected twists and turns, and, and, uh, so, and, and uh, guests can go back and hear what well, was a really uh, extraordinary segment uh, on November 2nd, 2015. But what are some of the interesting recent twists and turns that you've experienced uh, since, since we last spoke? Well, you know, Dave, there's been, it, it's an interesting time to be sort of in this world of uh, communicating with other people and trying to help them uh, find meaning in their work and uh, in their lives. And I just feel that there's this real hunger out there for folks who are looking for guidance of what they should be doing at sort of, and I, my peeps, as I like to say, are the over 50 set. So we're looking at folks who you yep. know, really have these bonus years to do a lot of different things that generations before didn't, but what the heck are these going to be and how do you retool to get there? And so kind of some interesting things, uh, two, two specific things I'll say is for me personally, sure. um, I find that, that I'm reaching out towards women 
who have mm. uh, perhaps gone back into the workplace um, at this stage of life after the kids have launched, and they're grappling with how to uh, have a skill set that makes them employable, or they may, in fact, be in a job, and they are now the primary breadwinner in their family because their spouse has uh, been part of a layoff or, or a downsizing in a company. And so it's really changed the dynamics of how uh, individual households are operating with one retired, one not, the woman making more money, women being afraid of finance. And, you know, so I'm giving, I've seen a lot of opportunity to give financial empowerment to women, and I do that quite a bit when I write through PBS Next Avenue's website and a lot of my speaking engagements. The second thing I'm seeing major theme is individuals who are shifting towards you know, people in this uh, category of over 50 are struggling to find work, and we can talk a little more about that. But, yep. but um, and, and there's a younger set, the 20-somethings, who are also facing ageism in the workplace. And the two coming together to do interesting projects together. And my husband is a case in point who um, he uh, was downsized from a full-time job at CNN as an editor and a documentary producer has, you know, launched his own uh, freelance business quite successfully in the ensuing years, the last couple of years, but has recently paired up with a young filmmaker in her 20s uh, to work together on this indie film. And it's so much fun to see the two work together because it's not, he used to always do sort of one job and everybody else did one job and somebody else did another job, whether it's editing or producing or sound. And in today's world, everyone does everything. And this a uh, woman in her 20s, she can, she can shoot, she can do uh, sound, yeah. she can edit, she can produce, she can write. So it's fascinating to watch the two come together and see his uh, appreciation of the changing workplace and, and him desperately learning to keep up. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, such an interesting, well, actually a couple of interesting stories, but the last one in particular, and it seems so emblematic of, of our times. It just seems like... You know, so I, you know, I, I left the university to work on higher education reform. You're, you're talking about the reform of work and people, uh, you know, in in late stages of their careers trying to uh, either get by or or or, um, or do something even with with meaning in their lives. And but that's it's such a it's such an odd time of um, there's so much there's so much that's uh, I, I, I've. I was going to use the word broken, but I don't want to use the word broken. It's just so different than, you know, everything was pretty stable. You know, when I started school back in the 70s and 80s, we had this conversation the last time. And it's, you know, that none of those, none, none of those rules, almost none of those rules apply. It's just such a different world. Come. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a jumble in many ways. And, and there's one thing, and then perhaps we'll get into it a little more in depth later, but that, that yep. I find incredibly frustrating is, I, I, you know, talk to audiences of this over 50 set who are, you know, uh, I see the palpable fear in their eyes that they're going to outlive the money, their money, they need jobs, they want jobs, and um, they don't know how and where to go to reskill for the jobs that are out there. And higher education, I just wish we could find a way that they could address some of these needs in an affordable fashion for an older student and you know, it's and, and it's also having the employers weigh in on what kinds of skills do we need to educate, you know, people for. But I'd love to see a gateway of some sort where, you know, we can see higher ed doing a dance with the older worker to help to help them really come back in recharged, ready to work, and, and valuable to employers. 
Yeah, and I and and I would like I'd like to spend some time on that, especially in our uh, in our last segment. And um, there's so much to talk about; it's hard to even know where to begin. But I guess another thing is, last time um, you you spoke of um, your own unleashing experiences from younger years and so forth, and that's really a key theme of the show: is doing things that are authentic and and um, uh, it seems like we have these just beautiful conversations at the beginning of every show about unleashing and authenticity. And so I'm curious, um, either in your own career or in story, you know, you, you're a story collector and storyteller. You know, what what moving stories of unleashing have you have you heard or that you could share uh, since the last time we talked? Well, you know, I, I had an opportunity uh, in the past year to uh, visit with uh, individuals who won at the time, I was through Encore.org, these purpose prizes for, for work they were doing. And, you know, I had met these individuals who, a woman in Alaska who was a, you know, um, an Episcopal priest who has taken it upon herself to, um, you know, the, the small, tiny villages in Alaska, she, she recognized that there was such an issue um, with the young people in these sort of isolated villages and losing touch with their elders. And she'd been a musician since she was a kid as well in Ohio where she grew up. And she was able to sort of combine all of these things to start this sort of mission of bringing music and teaching these small village, the students flying in and get bringing instruments and so forth and teaching them the native music and, and songs. And to see her eyes light up at this stage in her life doing work <laughs> That was incredibly meaningful. It was it it was really quite quite fun. Um, and then you know there was a, a, another individual who is a, a professor at Columbia University, who uh, you know also continues to teach. He, he's in the documentary division, uh, department and filmmaking, but he's been able to start sort of a group in New York City that is empowering um, kids in Harlem to sort of have a support network and mentors and and be accountable. And he's giving back in a way. So I guess some of the big unleashing stories I'm seeing is people looking um, at continuing maybe what their primary career was, but then adding something uh, as a side gig that really brings uh, brings it home as to unleashing creativity that they may have in themselves and uh, in the, and so forth. So whether it's playwriting or whether it's music, it's something that was back in your childhood that sort of was percolating up your desire to write or uh, create uh, music and, and meaning. And so I, I see some of those stories. Again, another sort of wacky story. I don't know if it's wacky, but a woman I recently met with, she was, you know, career uh, military, 20-odd yes. years. And um, she went back, uh, She after she took retirement there, she started working for a defense contractor, was doing mm-hmm. that work for a number of years, earning nice uh, salaries. But, you know, her after going through a divorce and her child was launched, she's like, what do I, where do I want to live? What do I want to do? She moved back to her hometown of Cleveland, and of all things, has started. Uh, it's a winery, kind of like a brew pub, but it's a wine kind of pub where you can go and and make your own wine, kind of thing. And it's it's so far afield from what she was doing, but it's a legitimate startup business that she's doing. She said in all her travels with the military, she loved food and wine, and and she loves Cleveland, and <laughs> so she said. It's like a, a win-win, and she. Um, so it's kind of a, a different divergence. But here she is back in her hometown with family, and and following a completely different path. Beautiful, just uh, all, just all, all those stories so beautiful, and it's interesting how they. Uh, I I find that um, 
so much of what higher ed has done continues to do is all it's all cognitive all the way down it's it's all thinking and language and theory and almost everything that well the stories that you just told all had there was either art there was emotion there was there was taste there was food there was body so there's these the the there's you know if there's a triad of of um mind heart and body you know the the two neglected pieces of the triad are body and and heart and it seems like so much um, that what people come back to in later life and uh, makes the triad whole comment oh that is beautifully put i wish i had said that good going dave <laughs> <laughs> no well anyway so but it's but it's sort of coaching standard coaching stuff but it's so often when you you know when you're working with a client you you know you you, you ask these questions in head and there's this careful defense built around the fortress of what they're doing and then you ask a question about well where are you feeling that in your body and then suddenly something breaks through and you, and and what's the emotion of that and and you get a and you get a completely different response than than head questions and yet and yet the higher education that we're talking about is so much about it's all about head all twenty four seven and 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 we never get to body or heart and it seems like one of the certainly part of what we were talking about in the whole new engineer and it seems to me that even you know liberal education claims to do otherwise but um, and it but it's all compartmentalized you have body and in dance departments and theater and you have visual arts and in the art department but but somehow the the human isn't made whole throughout the throughout the curriculum even in liberal arts schools and you know dave one thing i've recognized too in individuals who are in as again in my my peeps the over 50 set when we want to start something new or even you know finding work at this age we often haven't had to do resumes or interviews or any of that in years because we've yep. been sort of tripping yep. along on the same path, just steadily kind of moving up. And whether we make a change because we're bored or because we feel we're tapped out and we're burned out, but they do, but we don't know how to sell ourselves. We don't know how to brag on ourselves. We don't know how to do public speaking, per se. We're kind of, we're trapped in our little, our little silo. And I often, and I bet you do this too, recommend that people, you know, take an improvisation acting class or sign yep. up for Toastmasters. Do something that kind of gets you uh, out, outside of yourself and speaking to others and comfortable about the uncertain nature of life. Oh, I like that last that last phrase. And, and and actually, I think that's one of the things that's so different. You know, it seemed like, and maybe it was an illusion, but back in the 70s and 80s, life seemed pretty certain. You know, you went to work for the same employer. Uh, you, when you went to college, you came out. Some, you didn't know exactly what job you were going to get, but you were going to get a job. But, but that certainty is kind of broken. Yeah. And, and you know, and it's even interest, interesting things I see with um, one woman I, I was a, a friend and also that I've, I've written about. She has a big job here in the government in Washington, D.C., and she was yep. uh, given a promotion. She's in her uh, early 50s, and she was given a promotion to be a manager. And, you know, this was great, more money, big, bigger title, and so on and so forth. She, after a couple of months, she realized she absolutely hated it, even though that was the expectation of her, you know, career progression. You were supposed to keep going up this ladder, and you were supposed to take on more responsibility. She hated managing people. She said it made her so uncomfortable because she no one could do the job the way she wanted it done the way she would do it personally mm-hmm. and so i'm sure she was a, a you know hell on wheels for her the people working for her but she actually requested to go back to her old job because she said you know what i know something about myself i can't get up every morning and do this job i'm miserable 
Yeah, and and well, and there's you know there's a couple of sides to that, and and uh, the other thing is that we tend to we that I mean that's a mistake that we've we've been making that mistake for a couple of centuries, <laughs> and you know that we take someone who's a uh, a domain expert and then we put them in charge of other domain experts and we don't give them any training and we don't give them any preparation. We don't give them any coaching or there's no, there's no transition. And, and then it's kind of sink or swim. And, and if the person has the natural inclination, they can do it. But if, but otherwise um, there, there, there are a lot of stories where, where people kind of go back. And I mean, it's good that she knew herself and was able to recover, but it, that the stories aren't always that good. Yep, I think it's true, and I, so I think we all, you know, need to be cautious about always sort of doing soul searching as we're moving along on our on yep. our route. Uh, you know, yes, it is definitely the intellectual, the the brain stuff, but but we have to be in touch with who we are and what we're doing. And and then the next segment, I want to spend time with with you and your peeps. But and this before we do that, I, I um, you know we've got. Listeners, a lot of the listeners to the show are educators. They're charged with helping students become employable. But as we've been saying, a lot of the career rules, uh, the you know rules that were still in place when those educators went to school themselves, are out the window or greatly modified. What what advice can you give to the listener educators who are helping to uh, educate young people for today's workforce? Well, I think a few important lessons that you need to pass along is that more than ever. Um, learning to be collaborative is key. I mean, working with uh, multi-generational workforces so that if you come in as a young person, you're working, you know, older workers are staying on the job longer, you can't be resentful of that. You can't be snappy with them. You can't lose patience with them trying to give you advice. You need to find ways to create synergies and respect their expertise. So, And they have to come back at you in the same way, so it's a two-way street. But I think if educators can help students understand the importance of a collaboration with all age groups is important. Uh, the uh, ingredient of resilience is never more important. It's not an easy thing to teach somebody, but, but I think yep. if a student has curiosity and a, a thirst for learning, they're always going to have some sort of resilience sort of engendered in them because they'll be willing to see things a new way, to be open to learning new ways of doing things because the world is changing so fast that whatever technology or so forth that they're learning today, it's, it's lightning changes as we go. So they need to be quick and adaptable. And I think having resilience, if there's a way to kind of embed that notion in someone to not get locked in to, with blinders like so many in the prior generation might have done. I think those are very two key things. So communication would be the third. Having strong writing and oral skills, being able to stand up and speak in front of people, being able to write legibly, clearly, with with focus and energy. Those would be the three things I would really encourage. Yeah, and it's interesting. You called out resilience, which is, that's a very interesting topic because, you know, people, and I, I don't know that this is always it's often said, I'm not sure that it's the case, that millennials are often have been catered to and in many ways are are because of that catering, not particularly resilient. They're used to kind of getting their own way and, and uh, not facing hardship. Comment? Yeah, I definitely think that I see this sort of 
And it goes back to that little bit of resentment that, that I noted. I think yeah. when they get into the workplace and they find that someone's not saying, oh, uh, John, that was just an amazing uh, 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 suggestion you had or solution to this problem, but rather saying, yes, that's good, but maybe there's another way we could approach this. They're like, whoa, whoa, I, what I said was correct. I have the best method. And so it's not being open to listening to others because they've been rewarded and told that they, in fact, do have the answers. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's, um, yeah, I, th- it's, it, I think the, there is a, well, there's, I think that's more than a, a generation gap here. It's, it's um, a, a shift. I think some of it was a shift in child rearing, of course, you know, in, Oftentimes, a generation reacts to whatever its its parents were doing, and it'll be interesting to see what um, this generation does when they raise kids, if they they do raise kids. But it just seems like there's a, a there are issues with that resilience, or issues with uh, making commitments. Even it's like um, do do I you know? So I I was happy to get my first job and kind of jumped at it, even though the salary wasn't great, but the work looked good and looked like a way up. But uh, it doesn't seem to. It seems like a different. There's a a different view towards uh, um, a different view towards work. What you know, uh, yeah, work is. I can't yeah. help but jump in on this notion yeah. of of work-life balance. Okay, we all talk about it, and especially as we're getting older, but I find my 20-something nieces and nephews are like, hey, you know, I'm working too many hours. I'm not, you know, I'm not happy in this job because I'm not able to go, you know, rock climbing when I want to, or whatever it is. And it's this sense of entitlement, and I don't mean it with all the loaded things that come with that word, but it's this sense that I can be the master of, I can work, and I can play, and I can have my family life, and it's, you know, there are times in your life where you do need to sacrifice and, and focus on one area at a time. You can't have it all, all the time. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Great conversation. Why don't we, why don't we take a break and come back and talk about, um, talk about your peeps. Let's talk about uh, purposeful aging in the next segment. How about that? Great. Sounds good to me. All right. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Carrie Hannon. Stay with us, and we're going to talk about purposeful aging in the next segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call one 866 
1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. I'm Dave Goldberg, and the second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your organizational or educational institution. Uh, And you can ask uh, our guests uh, questions or make comments on Twitter at hashtag Big Beacon. So welcome back to the show, Carrie Hannon and... and, uh, you know, like we were talking just kind of generally about employment and the how the world's changed. Let, let's talk about the sweet spot of your writing, speaking, and um, and activities. Uh, I just turned six. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, much of the writing is about uh, older. Much of your writing is about older workers, and you're currently interested in what has been termed purposeful aging. What what is that, and why is it important now? Oh, you know, Dave, this is such an, an interesting area, and it's, it's sort of this new phenomenon. I think there's, as we're living longer, uh, presumably healthier lives, I, I find that, that folks in their, you know, late 50s, early 60s who, you know, two things are happening. One, uh, they are um, using, continuing to work in, re- in what was the retirement uh, stage of life as a sort of as a safety net financially, but even more than that, I think that it is something that I'm seeing um, that they're realizing that they get benefit from some kind of work structure, like wanting to build a social connection or a mental engagement and bringing meaning into their life. So instead of, you know, stepping away 100% where they kind of give up a part of their, uh, their identity, they're sort of hanging on to that and creating, uh, you know, a work that that gives meaning to their lives in some way, and it may be working for a nonprofit, for pay or not for pay. But it's often taking a, doing this soul-searching to say, hey, what can I do with the skills and talents that I've sort of pulled together through my lifetime of work and really give back and make a difference in the world? And at the same time, you know, when you do good things for the world and other people, you feel better about yourself as well. So I think this whole sort of mental social engagement has become really important to people at this stage in life. And I must say there was this, this wonderful guy I, I spent some time with and is now a friend of mine. I, I wrote a piece on, about him in the New York Times uh, a few months ago. And he retired, Dane Peters retired from, uh, he was the head of a Montessori school in Brooklyn. And yep. he coined what he says, what he does now is he's a consulteer. And so he said, you know, it's, it's sort of what he does is he does you know, he, he works a little, he plays a little. I mean, that's his retirement strategy. And so it's really quite, quite fun to watch the ways people are kind of putting a jigsaw puzzle together of, of things they can do with consulting assignments uh, on one hand and kind of getting that, keeping their uh, intellectual life moving, and then volunteering with their spouse or with friends or whatever on the other uh, end of it. And, it. and it sort of is a nice sweet spot. Yeah, I like that um, coinage. And and um, yeah, and it's I, I, I my wife and I just went on a river cruise and it was wonderful. And yet I I had there were so many people for whom the cruising was the whole the whole shooting match, and it was hard sometimes to have conversations about it was it was about golf games and and eating and going on the next cruise. But I it was problematic because it was like. Um, 
you know, I left the university six years ago, 2010, and and I guess I, you know many of the things that we're going to talk about, I've been um, been doing, and and it's it's like I can't imagine not doing them because because they they do add meaning to your life. They it, not not just meaning. It's like, um, uh, well, it I it it it's something something. It's also something to do that you really like doing. And in many ways, you you by by doing this kind of work, you get rid of the stuff that you didn't like because you don't have to do that anymore. Uh-huh. And you only it, it's it's all chocolate, no spinach. That's so perfect because you can shed some of that that must do stuff and do the the things that you really want to do, and you can focus on that part of your life because it's absurd to think that you just turn the switch on all of these wonderful talents that you've honed and sculpted over the years and you and kind of just go into a free fall doing other kinds of work. I think people, as I mentioned before, lose their sense of identity. They lose their social network in many ways. And and they they lose the reason to get up every morning. Yes, it's fun for a while to to travel a lot and do this and that, but but there's this core human need, I think, to to be needed and to and to give back. Yeah. Nice. And 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 actually, this is relevant to the listeners on the show. Many of them are, are professors or, or uh, higher ed administrators. And as a as a leadership coach, I get to work with some of them. Um, and many and, and some are in their fifties, and they're at the you know they're about ready, or they're either in or about ready to join your your peeps. And and many of them struggle with life after the university. And university is. Is is almost in many ways is kind of it's a cool if you have to if you have to work it's um, you know nine to five or or twelve hours a day or whatever it is it's it's a pretty good job because oftentimes you do get to direct a lot of your energy towards things that you care about but a number of them struggle with life after the university and Carrie you've written several books on on the subject um, and you've been. You've been quoted on NPR and other outlets uh, that we should retire the word retire. What do, what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, David, it's, it's very much, and, and now I think it's getting to be a little mainstream thinking than when I first started down this path. But frankly, it's not, we're not retiring. That whole word seems to uh, involve the sense of stepping backwards, you know, yeah. uh, receding. And, and really, this is a time that you need to be you know, and it sounds corny, but refiring and stepping forward and igniting. And, and you know, again, to this notion of intergenerational, multi-generational experiences, this is really the time where uh, mentoring and giving back and helping others come along after you, not, you know, not in sort of a pat on the head way, but in really getting down in the dirt and, and helping and being engaged in, in things that are changing our world. And, you know, one other point, um, you know, I was thinking, too, is mentoring is a word that gets a lot of buzz, but there's a word that in the workplace that, that's really important, especially for younger people, which we talked about in the first segment a lot, but, but it was simply sponsoring, trying to find somebody within an organization that will sponsor you, which, which actually means they have a bit of skin in the game and getting helping you along the way. And so they publicly are out there lobbying for you to get raises, for you to get new assignments, and so I think that there's a lot of good things that can happen between somebody who's, you know, higher up and getting ready to step out and somebody who's stepping in. So I encourage people to really focus on ways you can, you know, build relationships with someone who's younger. And I'm telling you, you get so much more um, jazzed about what you do and you learn from them. You know, you really learn from them as much as they do from you. 
Well, and and actually, I I like you know the, your introduction to these terms, and one of the I these some of these terms get so get used and misused to the point where they almost have no meaning. So you hear mentoring is one of those terms. Coaching is another one, and and I. I and, and people don't often think about it. I think of mentoring and pure coaching as opposites. You know, mentoring is where it's essentially advice giving and telling people stuff because you've been in a place where that person would like to go. And it's not a bad thing. It can be a good thing skillfully done, but it's it's, problema- it's problematic. Helping people generally is problematic because when you help people, uh, it's one-upsmanship that essentially you're asserting, mm-hmm. uh, you're assert- asserting status over them. And coaching is the, you know, pure coaching is the opposite of that. Coaching is pulling out of the person what's inside. And, and sometimes those terms are thrown around interchangeably. You know, sponsoring is actually a great term to throw in there. It's really kind of advocating advocacy inside an organization for someone who you think will serve the organization. So that's, that's something, that's actually something very different. Yeah, I, I do. I think it's quite different. And, and, um, I, you know, there's all kinds of things that I feel, um, people, you know, as you reach your, your eyeing down your, you know, sixth decade or whatever, and you're saying, or seventh, yeah. and what is it I want to be doing? I mean, you can't be afraid to take risks at this time in your life because, uh, you know, as we were saying, nothing's forever. You might as well try, and this fear of failure is so ingrained in us that we want to, don't want to do something in case it doesn't work out. But um, uh, there's a, a woman that, that uh, Dave, you know, and I know who, when she took yeah. uh, an early retirement package in her 50s, she loved to garden, for example. And she thought, well, she was a corporate lawyer, and she thought, well, heck, that's I'm going to start a business as a landscape designer. And she, to fill her time, and, and you know, really thought it would be so gratifying and satisfying for her. And she realized she was miserable because... She hated being alone in the garden. She was a real people person, and that her hobby of gardening was kind of her respite and her pause button in her life. And for her, that was really tough to think of that as a job. And she's like, whoa, whoa. This is... She realized soon enough and backed off and started down a new path. So I think we all need to realize that you can step in one direction and say, oops, not right. Let me try another one. Well, and that's such a, and actually, you know, we were talking about things being out of whack or broken or uh, not not the same as they were. I think that's one of the key things. As education previously was about educating people to be obedient to higher existing hierarchy that knows what it's doing and wants people to fill slots and roles that it knows are going to be there. And that's all, and that apple cart was kicked over and, mm-hmm. and no longer exists. And so... What we I had um, Sheila Tobias was on the show and 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 told a story about someone saying that they well they could go into science and engineering STEM the send subjects but their their I. IQ was high enough, but their OQ wasn't high enough. Their obedience quotient wasn't <laughs> high enough. But essentially, we've trained people to be obedient, and we've trained them. We've trained them to be cautious um, and and not to not fail. And so this isn't. Um, so this, what you said that that this is the time to take chances, is I agree with. But it, it's it's very hard given the training of almost any traditional higher education program that someone retiring today has faced. Comment? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So it's a real hurdle that people need to to uh, look hard and 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 see. Can I try this? Can I do something new? And is it okay if it doesn't work out? You know, and uh, so I think that we see these challenges, and I, I do think that um, this whole need of, 
you know, we, we are going to continue working far longer. So, you know, it's a way, are there ways, and I think a higher education probably is pretty good about this phasing into retirement. So it's not like one day you just retire. You know, you can back, you know, step it down, step it down so that you can slowly be moving in other directions. Am I correct on that? It depends on the school. Some schools have have gentle programs to ease you out, and sometimes people are urged not so gently to leave. It it just really <laughs> do, it just it really depends on it depends on the school. But of course, the the uh, there have been court decisions which um, make it so uh, professors never have to retire from. Mm-hmm. So they can there. There's no um, there's no re- uh, mandatory retirement age in the United States anymore. There used to be. Mm-hmm, except by, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, it's such an individual situation of who wants to continue doing stuff. But the root of all of this, I think, as we look at this next chapter in our life, is, is embedded in anyone who's been in higher education, is that lifelong learning is the secret, uh, really, to aging successfully. Well, and 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 faculty and administrators actually... Um, have that opportunity. Things like sabbatical um, allow you to retool and get your research topic isn't chosen for you by the administration. So there is a sense of um, continuing to learn that's built into, um, say, being a professor and 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 um, uh, working uh, working in the university, at least in, in on the educational um, side. So okay, so. Um, so, so you're going to make some sort of transition. You're going to go out into the world. Uh, you're, you're over fifty, uh, full or part time. Um, uh, what are what are some of the biggest challenges that people face uh, out out there in the workforce? Uh, say over fifty, over sixty, whatever. Yeah, you know, it, it's really you know it can be a huge blow to your ego. Uh, many levels if you've been successful at what you were doing prior to to stepping out, and certainly the sooner you can move into work. Uh, of some kind after you've um, left your primary career, uh, whether it's starting a full-blown second career or a part-time job, the better, because the longer you're out of the workforce, the harder it is to get back in. Um, what I see is, you know, the primary concern employers, uh, and this is with a broad brush, is they think that, A, you know, you're not up for the job. You really don't have the stamina to do it. They think that you are overqualified and you're too expensive. And these are all very real possibilities for many, many individuals. They think that you're stuck in your ways, that you're, you know, not willing to try new ways of doing things, that you're not tech savvy, which is often a problem for uh, people of a certain age. You know, they worry that, that you aren't going to play well with the younger kids. You're not going to work well with a younger boss and that maybe you're not in it for the long haul. You're just, it's just sort of a, a you know, a stopping point on your way to eventually not working at all. So, you know, a holding pattern. And all of these things, to a certain extent, uh, may be applicable, but there are really ways that that individuals can can counter those stereotypes and and learn to sort of navigate it. But it but ageism is alive and well in the workforce, and and it's you know it may be legal, but it is really there. I mean, I know so many people who say to me, you know, I got right down to, I think I was the second, there were two of us, they were deciding between, and I could see the person looking at me and seeing my expiration date. Mm. And, you know, it's a real feeling in your gut. So yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting to watch and to try to counsel people on how to fight back. 
Well, how do you, how do you fight back? What are some of the things <laughs> okay, that you can so do? You're giving me a perfect opportunity to talk about Carrie's fitness program. Okay. So I tell, I tell people, especially women will come up to me and say, hey, you know, should I get Botox? Should I dye my hair? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, if you want to do that, excellent. Just don't do it before. Don't do it before your interview and only if it's going to make you feel great about yourself because um, I personally am not a big fan of that, but if that's what you want to do. But what you should do is get a fitness plan, and this is imperative. And I don't mean, you know, running fast miles, bench pressing, you know, this really intense thing. I'm talking about having, you know, you exercise three or four times a week, you moderately, it might be swimming. I walk my dog several miles, but that's one of my favorite things to do. But, you know, find something that works for you that you will do. And whether maybe it's working out with a personal trainer, what have you, get a, a level of physical fitness and eat healthy, be nutritious, nutritious eating, all those things. You know what it does? It makes you energetic. It makes you confident. That, you know, people look at you, employers or what have you, and they say, I want what she has or I want what he has. They don't know exactly what it is, but they know you're up for the job and you have this can-do spirit. It, it's amazing the transformation that, that that can have on you. And uh, an aside, it's also a smart financial move because, as we know, healthcare costs just keep ratcheting up as you get older, even with Medicare, what have you, there's out-of-pocket costs, and as long as you stay healthy, you know, you're going to save yourself out-of-pocket costs. So I'm a big believer in that. The second piece of it is I think you need to try very hard while you're still employed to be in your primary career to get financially fit. It is so important to not go into your retirement years in debt. So if you can pay off big credit card debts, if you can downsize how you live, move to a smaller home, if, it, if refinancing helps to lower that cost, fine. Maybe move to a new location where the cost of living is cheaper. Um, what are Do a budget. What are some ways that you can trim, trim, trim? Because, and this takes time. So I tell people, if you're planning to make a shift to do something new, new kind of work, you know, give yourself, start thinking at 50 what you want to do at 55. Think at 55 what you want to do at 60. It takes planning. And this getting financially fit piece really does take some time for most people. And if you can enter your retirement period or your working in retirement period debt-free or close to it, you have given yourself a big ticket because money is the biggest stumbling block for people who want to make a career change to move in a different direction and to find new work. Because if you're locked in having to earn a certain salary in the next chapter of your life, you're limited on what you can do and what kinds of jobs you can accept. And so, um, in fact, you know, it is so liberating and also um, opens up these opportunities for you to try out different kinds of work that you might have not been able to consider because the salary wasn't as much as you earned in your prior position and you think that, you know, you're worth more. Maybe you are worth more, but you're able to give it a shot because you don't need that certain salary. Yeah. Actually, the first part of your fitness program, I was thinking muscle is youth. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I, not necessarily Ar- Arnold, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger muscle, you know, Vercada, but, but, um, but as you say, get into the, you know, getting into the gym and, and, uh, and we do know so much about, um, about exercise that we didn't know that, uh, you know, doing some resistance training with, along with, uh, you know, reasonable cardio, you don't need to run marathons. If, if, I mean, if you want to run a marathon, fine. Um, um, but, but, uh, I think, uh, keeping, keeping a good amount of muscle is that, you know, keeps you functionally able to do 
work. It gives you physical stamina, and and it also gives you the kind of confidence that you also look younger um, yeah. um, with that. So and then, yeah. I think and people and over, what's people overlook the importance of that? You're like, what does it have to do with finding jobs? What does it yeah. have to do with making finding meaning in this stage of my life? It has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's let's uh, take a break and uh, come back in the next segment and talk about uh, education in later life. How about that? Yep. All right. This is uh, Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Carrie Hannon. In the next segment, we're going to talk about uh, education uh, for purposeful aging. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's Twin Education Innovators uh, Working Group and Innovators Across Boundaries. Join us this fall to develop leaders, change accelerators, and shift skills, don't call them soft skills, that are needed for effective transformation and change. Watch BigBeacon.org for details or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at BigBeacon.org to find out more. And uh, we're back in our final segment with uh, Carrie Hannon, New York Times uh, columnist and uh, author of many books on on careers and, and job satisfaction. And so... Carrie, um, I just turned 63, and I've gone through many of the things that we've been talking about here. And one of the things I find challenging in, in later life is is learning new stuff and finding places to learn. And I've been a pretty much a lifelong learner, but uh, so much formal um, learning is seems to me it's structured for for young people and not really very well considered for people later in life. What's your take? I totally agree with you, David, and this is a mission I have, is we've got to find a way to make the, the system work when we have this whole population of people. And, in fact, the younger workers coming up today, they're going to be living longer lives, and they're going to need this, this lifelong learning course 
set up for them. We're kind of, you know, making a path here that's never been there before. We are a generation that absolutely wants and needs to continue learning in some fashion, and it's not just taking, um, going to a quick lecture. Uh, yes, that's great. It's a wonderful thing, but sometimes there's more concrete learning that we need to do, and and as you age, you do learn in a different way. You need to actually hands-on do stuff a lot of times, and it's repetition even more than when you're younger. But but actually doing whatever it is, I know a lot of friends who have, you know, doing online learning because they like it because they can go at their own pace a little bit. They can go back and review yep. sections. It's not this uh, march down the line to get the certification or to add the the expertise. So. Um, and I find people in their downtime are just going on to uh, LinkedIn has has some great educational opportunities, Coursera, of course, and yeah. there are other ones that really help us keep the education doors open. But I'd love to find a way for higher ed to tap into this older generation with with lifelong learning that is uh, that that gives core skills that you can actually apply to work. Whether it's nonprofit or volunteer, you know, work or or for profit work. Well, you know, I, I, there are a number of things in what you're just saying. So there are resources out there, and I, I, I was my opening remarks were critical, but there is stuff out there. It wasn't intended necessarily um, for people late in life, like the MOOCs you mentioned, Coursera, you, yeah. you know, Udacity, uh, edX. The big MOOCs have all kinds of classes online, and and. And older folks can go look at those um, if they're technically savvy enough to do so, and and that's no problem. Then there are companies like uh, what used to be called the teaching company. I think it's called Great Courses that scours the the planet for great lectures, and they do really have great lectures. Uh, when I was a runner, I used to listen to you know almost all their philosophy courses and some other courses. So they've got great courses. There's great stuff on online. Um, uh, what other, um, what are, uh, uh, and, and for example, uh, you, you, um, things like art, there's lots of art education online and music education. Uh, there's been a revolution in, uh, music lessons online where any, whatever instrument you want to play, there's somebody online and oftentimes somebody of, of renown that you can, uh, have teach you online, uh, jazz guitar or jazz piano or whatever comment. Oh, and I love it. And in fact, it's so funny you mentioned music because I have several um, close colleagues and and uh, friends who have formed uh, groups. Uh, you know, they're they're playing. They're actually playing for audiences. They they maybe played an instrument when they were younger. They put it aside. They they picked it up again. They they you know sort of and they're back performing it. Maybe it's at like a local winery or they're they're doing a little uh, community center or going to an assisted living community and they're having a ball and it's it's uh, feeding on the creativity and the social interaction. It's just so much fun to watch. So it's not necessarily learning to um, have a skill to work, which is something I do focus on, but actually wor- learning skills to live and enrich your life in a way that that's, goes a little deeper than the surface. I've got uh, this past year or so, it sounds me how many folks I know who are going on vacations that aren't, that are really part of, and I think it's rebranded, and you'll have to tell me who the, it was before, but it's... Um, you know, uh, part of the, I think it's Rhodes Scholar has these travel programs, but it, it once had a different name to it. Um, but there, you know, where you have a, a lecturer going along with you, so you're really, you know, not only are you seeing a wonderful place in Italy, but you're learning about 
the artists, who, a particular artist who worked there or what have you. And, and the series at museums, it's amazing what museums are offering where you can go to the Boston Museum. I know uh, Museum of Art there, I think it's our, the Art Institute, they have an amazing program of a whole lecture series that really digs, digs deep. It's not a cursory look at a topic, but you learn about a whole, um, you know, generation of, of painters or a whole style or what have you. But you really get in as if you're, and you don't have to write a paper, but you, <laughs> yep. you learn it pretty intently. So I, I'm seeing a deeper dive in education offerings for folks who, who want to get involved. Yeah, nice. And and actually, one of the things, you know, some of these experiences, especially the online experiences, tend to be isolated. So if if the individual, so for example, getting better at an instrument is is a solitary quest to a certain extent. But then if you want to do something social in a group, you've got to find people. And that's, that's, that's challenging, uh, or it can be challenging, depending on the people you know. How do you, the social aspect of the work, uh, we, uh, a listener, uh, Dan Heck, wrote in a question for you, um, or a comment, part of the power of work is the social validation of the broader purpose of the activities. How can we do, and his question is, how can we duplicate the same compelling social affirmation of this new retired world? What communities have you seen that build this validating community? Comment. Oh, wow. That is such a great question because that is, you know what, he's spot on because when I ask people who are working, what do you love about your job? Most people don't love the actual job. They like the mission of the company or the purpose of the nonprofit that they're working for. That, that means so much. Going to work because they believe in the mission, really, he's correct, is part of what it is. One group I would encourage you to look towards is uh, an organization called Encore.org, and they're launching uh, just now some uh, really this uh, coming week, this initiative uh, uh, to Generations to Generations is what they're, one that they're focusing on, but it's going to be very grassroots-driven in communities across the country to get engaged in giving back and, and a mission to um, a lot of it's reaching back to at-risk children and um, how we can help them along their path. And I think it's a really wonderful mission, and it's something that will be in communities around the country. So check out their website, and you might find what's happening near you. It's just a uh, one place I would encourage you to start. Yeah, and so um, as we think about this, and as we again, the show is is uh, you know we we go far afield and draw on different things, but schools ultimately, this shows ultimately about higher ed. So um, is, is higher ed missing the boat by not devoting more resources um, to this aging population? Well, I, I think that I'd like to see them doing more, um, but I do think some universities uh, do have some wonderful programs for the retirees. I think Cornell is one. There's some others out there who offer a lot of uh, volunteer opportunities and uh, communities, uh, you know, where their alums are around the country to, to give back and do work together. I went to Duke University. We have a really tight network in Washington, D.C., where we uh, get together and, and do projects, and it's a way of having a network. You have an identity with Duke. You're giving back to the community. So it's a new identity in a way for you from uh, if, if you weren't working at the university, but if you were, you continue holding on to that network in, in a different way because it's, it's uh, not – uh, it can be different age groups, but it's also having that component of believing in mission and giving back. So we've just got about we've got about one minute left, and so um, give you the the last word. What um, in in 
terms of your work, what's the what's your parting message for our listeners before we uh, sign off? Yeah, well, say it's not so. This went too fast. The yeah. most important thing is no matter where you are in your life and your career is to believe in yourself and what your capabilities are and constantly be pushing to learn new things so that you can stay relevant to yourself and relevant in the community and keep your network, your mental and your social engagement. That will create purposeful aging in a way that is absolutely critical as we're living longer lives. Beautiful. And then uh, just a quick URL so, or, or email address so people can get in touch with you. Yeah, Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, at Carrie Hannon, K-E-R-R-Y-H-A-N-N-O-N.com, or CarrieHannon.com is my website, and Twitter is at Carrie Hannon. Carrie, it's been great having you on again. Thanks for, th- thanks for coming on the show Fabulous. again. It's Thank been great. Thank you. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education with our special guest, Carrie Hannon. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel in our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.